Welcome to Data Driven Recruiting. In this podcast, we talk about strategies and techniques for leveraging objective talent data to improve hiring processes. Welcome back to Data Driven Recruiting. I'm your host, Sophia, and today we have a special guest, Tara from Indeed. Hello, Tara. Hi, Sophia. Hi, thank you so much for making time to join our show. Um, you know, to, for our listeners who don't know you, uh, could you kind of start with a quick intro about yourself and your work? Sure, sure. My name is Tara Sinclair, and I'm a senior fellow with the job search site Indeed. I started working with them uh, almost seven years ago now. Uh, and I started because I was working as a professor at George Washington University in the Department of Economics. And I was looking for new and exciting data sets to look at in order to learn more about the labor market. You know, we there's so much more that we want to know. And I knew that Indeed had so many awesome things in their treasure trove to share. So I started working with them on the side and I've been working with them ever since on various research projects. Got it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a you know, as an economist, you love, I'm assuming you love data and be able <laughs> to really dig into it to see what the data can tell us. And, you know, the, the official government job data is one, but yeah, like having mm -hmm. more um, data that can be collected from larger you know, society in a more practical way. I think that's always interesting. So yeah, could, mm -hmm. could you tell us about some of the, the research work that you've done with Indeed? Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, and one thing that's really interesting is how life uh, working with uh, private sector data in general, but particularly labor market data was you know, pre-March of 2020 versus post-March of 2020. You know, everybody's lives changed in so many different ways with the arrival of COVID. And one of the interesting things is that for the first several years that I was working in Indeed, I was really focused on the granularity of the data, like the benefits of being mm -hmm. able to dig much deeper and to be able to talk about a particular job type in a particular location and how that might fit the particular workers in that area and how the match might look. So we really focused on the granularity aspect of the data and that's really special. And there's so many different insights that we can draw from that. But my area of research is actually macroeconomics. And so I was always dreaming of having an opportunity to use the timeliness mm. of the data as well, to be able to see when there would be big shifts in the labor market. And we didn't have that for the first several years that I was working with Indeed Data. Everything was slowly shifting and changing. And there were lots of interesting things in the very micro level data. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden in March of 2020, we're watching the, the top line numbers just mm -hmm. collapse. And that really immediately shifted our, our research focus to shift from that granular aspect of the data to the timeliness aspect of the data. And we knew that it was really important to get this information out to employers, to job seekers, to policymakers, so that they would know what was happening in the labor market. And of course we could use the granularity too. So we could also say, how is this impacting different employers in different locations and different groups of people and all of that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a fascinating. It's almost like a, you know, because you, you can't really do an A-B testing in the economic environment with the right, job data, right. but the external factor kind of uh, Im impacting and shifting the dynamic could be a great, also like how different jobs or our economy respond to that kind of uh, external forces. Yeah, exactly. 
So yeah, I mean, what what did you find? What are some of the main <laughs> things you learned? Yeah. Well, one of one of the big things that I personally learned from my research that I was already doing pre-COVID was I was looking at labor market mismatch. So I was interested in how well did the job opportunities that we had on the Indeed website match up with the job seekers who were coming to Indeed and where were areas where things matched better or worse. Mm. And one of the things that I, I learned from, from my research as well as from building on to previous research using other data sets was that uh, it's actually the case that matches get worse when the total number of job opportunities get worse. So you kind of have this double whammy oh. where when the economy gets weaker, not only is there a lower quantity of job opportunities for job seekers, but the jobs that are there, you'll often hear this from employers. They'll say like, hey, everybody's saying the labor market's so bad, but I'm still not finding the kinds of workers that I need. Mm. And that's exactly what we see in the data, that things actually get worse in terms of even though the, the quantity of job seekers might be there for your labor market pool, there may still not be the types of matches, particularly ones that would last a long time, ones that would be really good fit for both the employer and the job seeker. Mm. What what are you what are some of the theories around what's driving that, like widening the gap, the mismatch? Well, I, so the, the really the key thing is that when you see uh, jobs disappearing in general, mm-hmm. they they disappear in an uneven way. And so and we can think about the most recent example as a key example of that, right? We didn't see all types of jobs disappear evenly, right? Mm-hmm. We saw service sector jobs, and this was new and different in COVID recession, but it's still you know, a similar case that certain types of jobs disappeared in greater numbers, and therefore that it adversely affected some job seekers differently than others. So Mm. the types of people that are out there looking for a job might not be the, you know, having exactly the background that employers are in other fields trying to hire for right now. I see. So like the, the retail service or even like a restaurant service type of jobs are because people are just not having the physical, you know, interactions with the stores they're just just not there, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. exactly. What are some of the jobs that they were almost kind of uh, unaffected or, or even had a almost like a reverse, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. effect on, yeah. Yeah, well, one of the key things that we're seeing in the Indeed data is that it's jobs around e-commerce that have done well, right? So we see loading and stocking roles have just skyrocketed. Certain types of retail as well have done well. If you think about like the, um, essential work of you know, grocery stores and pharmacies. Uh, and even uh, in construction, we've seen pretty strong construction as well. And so you can imagine that people that are leaving you know, arts and entertainment, for example, mm-hmm. may not be keen to be looking for, for these, these other types of roles and, and may not be a good fit from, from either their or the employer's perspective. I see. Yeah, and it, I mean that's a that's fascinating, and I think, yeah, and it's a it sounds like it's not also just like a one like sector. Even that sector has a different nuances depending on how COVID is actually affecting their business. Yeah, right. We can slice down even further because we can look at how it's impacting different metro areas, for mm-hmm. example. 
and different metro areas are affected not just by their exposure to COVID, but also their own mix of jobs. Mm. So, you know, if you see an area that really had a, you know, a, a vibrant downtown that uh, created a lot of restaurant jobs in the downtown area. Well, when everybody suddenly was working from home and no one was going to the downtown area for lunches anymore, that you know, that work from home was was good for the the people who were able to work from home, but it was very detrimental for the businesses that depended upon having people come to the office in order to frequent their their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I can also imagine even at a one company, it can be different as well. You mentioned like in the e-commerce, people who are working from the um, the the warehouse um, operations, maybe it, there is a higher needs. But maybe you know, and I mean, like if you're doing more business, I guess you just need a lot of different functions. But I would mm-hmm. assume like things like let's say. Their engineering team doesn't necessarily see the same type of uh, surge in the needs of a new employee and workforces, right? Right, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fascinating. How about um, then for I guess uh, employers who are um, kind of touching upon COVID, but also your previous research on the the mismatch, like. Um, how can, you know, because it is a real frustration, like you really want to hire someone to advance your team's work and um, be able to build more things, but not being able to find the right, you know, type of a people is a real pain. And um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of our listeners on this podcast, especially are like, <laughs> how can I find and hire the right people better? Right. So like, what are some of the things that, um, I guess, drives that mismatch? And is there anything that the employer can do to address some of that? I think there's a lot that employers can do. And I think they have to think about which front they want to adjust on. Because if they're having trouble filling a role, that suggests that there is some aspect of the role that they're not making appealing enough to their target job seeker to -hmm. attract them. And so we know from surveys that there's the top three typical things that people always talk about, right? So salary, location, and then you know, work satisfaction, those, those big three always matter. And so if you can sell your employer brand, great. You know, really, really push that forward to try and, and make that more attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you can flex on location, that's great. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. Lots of employers are realizing they can flex on location a lot more than they thought they could. And here and when you say flex, like, you know, just work from anywhere you want. Right, exactly. Now, now it's incredibly flexible. But maybe in, in time, it will be slightly less flexible. And, and actually, things may shift the other way. We may see hmm. that post-COVID, one of the key perks might be an office. Right. It might be to to get a place to go to a few days a week might be the thing that appeals. And that's something we need to, to watch in future trends in terms of what job seekers want. But of course, the you know, the big number one mm-hmm. is always salary. If you if you can pay a little more, that that does tend to go a long way to attract people. But you know, employers are usually looking for other fronts. Mm-hmm. And in, and of course, you know, the other one is to you know, offer more training, to take someone who has the the fundamental base to work from, but mm. may take a little longer to ramp up. 
you may get a lot longer run out of that person. People worry about, okay, if we train them, then they might leave and go to a different employer. But one of the things we consistently see is that if employers invest in their workers and train in them, that builds a better company culture mm. and a better employer brand. And it actually tends to help retain workers. Right, right. And I mean, it can be, it can be a part of your strategy as a brand, mm-hmm. you know, employer brand. Like, you know, we are known for, you know, the best training ground for, let's say, marketers and like everybody who's like the best marketers or one of the best marketers will flock to you. Like, right. So it can exactly. be a strategy if you turn it around, think differently about, okay, we can't find mm-hmm. the exact candidate profile, but maybe we can train them and then make that into more of a, our strength. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, particularly looking for teacher type managers, Mm-hmm. Is really important if you're going to go that direction, looking for the management style that really is aimed towards education can both be incredibly rewarding to those type of managers, mm-hmm. that, that sense of mentorship and investment in that next generation of whatever field you're in, uh, that, that can build retention on that end, as well as drawing in a really, really great you know, incoming job seekers as well. I see. Yeah, um, I kind of want to go back to the uh, the trend that we were discussing, the, the mm-hmm. remote working or working yes. from home. Yeah, what are what are some of the things that you've observed in that area? Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're seeing the same trend in our data that everyone else is seeing as well. That uh, for a long time, well before the pandemic, job seekers had been asking for various kinds of flexible work and and. and doing that more and more in their searches. In fact, as the labor market continued to improve, that seemed to be one of the fronts that employers could use to attract workers was offering various forms of flexibility. Now, of course, it's incredibly important to remember that the types of flexibility employers want to offer isn't always necessarily the kinds of flexibility that job seekers want. And so one of the things that we could kind of see in various different labor markets is we would see you know, flexible from the sense of the employer where like, hey, we'll let you know when we have hours kind mm-hmm. of thing versus then when the labor market is tighter, we see the whole, hey, let me know when you want to work, mm-hmm. uh, that those shifts back and forth. And so you know, we know that this is something that job seekers value. We know that this is something that employers value. And we know that there is this challenge of finding that, that match uh, but you know, technology has really made things a, a lot better in a lot of ways. And I think we've all learned how to adopt it very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And therefore, a lot of it's not going to go away. And then the question is just how much of it is going to be used going forward to suit the needs of the workers versus the employers? And how can we find something that works best for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. How about the, I mean, you mentioned that when you are, like you look at the macro trend and the change in the data, but when you also break it down, one of the dimensions that uh, you mentioned is the location. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, we do still have that notation that, you know, where is this job? Like mm-hmm. location is inherently kind of a part of that, but with this um, remote working, how, 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 I guess, how does it affect, 
I'm not sure whether that's the right word, but like, how do you think about looking at the data now? Because if it's everywhere, yeah. anywhere, and even across the border, then, do, you know, how does that change your work? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it does change our work and it has definitely made some of the data processing more, more challenging because you know, we, we are used to organizing jobs around their location. Mm. And now we have a location called remote, mm. uh, which isn't at all the same thing. Like it, it, it's hard to, to think about how, where, where that goes exactly. And we think about remote both as a where location, but also kind of a what job as well, because it's a key feature of certain types of jobs. Right. And job seekers, when they come to the Indeed website, will enter remote in either one of the boxes. There is this sense about, you know, is it a type of job or is it a location? Uh, which is you know, a really interesting thing to, to philosophically think about. And I, I think that is one of the key questions going forward is that, you know, do we wanna just treat remote as just a different location and certain job seekers say that's where they want to work? Mm. Or do we associate it more with, a perk of a job got it yeah I mean that's a that's a really interesting I mean yeah I think I see the both sides really strong you know mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. arguments for both sides how about yeah. um I mean when you when I think about job market you know like in in the traditional economics you know perspective you know, mar every market has a price. It's a price is a signal. Mm -hmm. Price is where things, you know, supply and demand meets and gets, you know, actions that take place. And, you know, oftentimes, I mean, because we also see a huge discrepancy between job market, even for the same mm -hmm. role, let's say it's a software engineering role, the, the type of um, salary that you can command in, you know, San Francisco, for example, is going mm -hmm. to be very, very different from, you know, a, a city that's like, you know, outside of the U.S. and then a like low cost of a living situation country. But now with the remote, it's almost, it can be, somebody can be hired, although they're not necessarily in this job market. So how, what's your mm -hmm. advice for employers who's thinking about the compensation? Because what is allowed yeah. to attract those talent <laughs> if you're not limited? Yeah. The top market. Yeah. Well, I think one thing, you know, when you brought up this idea that you know, there's a, you know, a price or in this case, you know, the wage that you know, potentially draws the supply and demand together. And one of the things we have to keep in mind is that theoretical concept includes all of the different benefits of the job, you know, and, and so salary, location, mm -hmm. work satisfaction, sense of connection to a particular community, the perks of where you get to live. Like there's, there's so many other features mm -hmm. other than just the pure salary yeah. that is really part of that theoretical price when we think about the market here, mm -hmm. uh, which of course makes it much more complicated, but also does give employers a lot of different dimensions to think about making their jobs more appealing. And so if you're thinking specifically about the the remote jobs, I, I think one of the things you want to figure out is, is remote, uh, back to what we were saying before, is remote a perk? In which case, maybe that suggests that other dimensions mm. could be lessened in some way. 
uh, or at least you not have to be quite so competitive on salary if remote is a perk. Mm-hmm. Now, if everybody is doing remote, if that becomes the standard in your particular job market, then you're going to have to, to compete again against all of, of those other people that are offering the similar mix of perks. So I really do, this is where, you know, coming back to, you know, is if remote is a location, then I think we will find what that equilibrium price looks like for different types of jobs in that uh, remote working space, as, assuming we have a fair bit of robust competition to, to help yeah. set up that salary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's really important to just think about the, the big context Mm-hmm. as well as the narrow context. Like it's very important for employers to look at their direct competitors to get a sense of their particular market. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, I still think it's important to zoom out and see that bigger picture. Yeah. And that'll really give you useful context for making decisions. Right, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And thanks everyone for joining us today. For more tips and insights on data-driven recruiting, please visit ddr.codesignal.com. See you next time.